Maybe others will come. Lord, thank you for our opportunity this evening to further study the Bible um, and the topic tonight, the authority of Scripture. Lord, may we be people who are obedient to the authority of Scripture. May we trust the authority of Scripture, Lord. May we know even better after this evening that you are God and the Word is your Word. And therefore, it bears authority. Help our minds to be open to study well tonight, to consider what we're learning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So, the, the topic has been the Bible, the big topic. And then the first week, I'll just give a quick little review. I didn't have this in the notes, but uh, we talked about Revelation the first week, general revelation, special revelation. And the Bible falls into which of those two categories? Special revelation, yes. And then last week we talked about inspiration, which is talking about how Scripture is breathed out by God. And uh, that was a great topic too. I was very excited to see all the small groups having good discussions, it looked like. That was, that was a good thing. So, so now we move on to the next topic, which is the Bible's authority. So the first thing we have to say is, what do we mean by authority? Because authority is a word that's used in a lot of different ways. So what does it mean in this, in this context of talking about biblical authority? Um, so the discussion of authority, I kind of put three generalized Uh, parts that we're going to look at, the authority of the source, uh, the content, the authority of the content, and then the implications of that. So we want to look at those things, the the source, the content, and the implications. The source, of course, is God. God is the source. We talked about that last week, inspiration. Um, and as you go through, this will be a little bit like when you're going through school, and you'll be like, well, we talked about part of that last week, but that's, there's a reason for that. We're building upon some foundations that we've put in place, and so you'll, you'll hear some things repeated again. But uh, the source is God, so um, if you need to review that, that would be from last week's study on inspiration. Um, and... The content, now, this is, this is probably broken down even further. So there's the content of Scripture is uh, information, uh, and that would be information about God, uh, information about the world, information about people, sin, judgment, salvation, and so on. Um, Right by the tithe bucket, Melissa, are the new pages for tonight. So, on top of the bucket. Okay. Um, so, the, the information is important that we understand what, what information is there. There's also in the Bible, not just simply information, but there's directives. Things that we, as creatures created by the Creator, ought to do. And I thought there was a great guide we could use to break that down, and that is the fourfold gospel, which we 
talked about them. Our guest this morning talked about a little bit. Jesus is our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our Coming King. Well, did you know that the Bible has directives about each of those? We have directives about what we have to do to be saved. We have directives about how we be how we are to be sanctified. We have directives about how to be healed. Right? Think of James five. You know, if you, if any of you is sick and call on the elders to come pray, that's a directive about how to uh, approach healing. And finally, preparing for the coming King. So we have directions about how we ought we ought to pray, prepare for the return of Jesus, our coming King. Some other words other than directives, you might hear the word instructive or instruction. Um, And if you really want to get technical with the theologians, they would call those passages that describe things that we ought to do as Christians, they, they use the word didactic. Didactic teaching is teaching passages. And all that means is sometimes when we're looking at Scripture, we say, what kind of, what type is this? particular scripture we're looking at is it narrative it's just telling us about something that happened uh, or is it something that's more informative like for future like prophetic things or is it didactic you might hear that word didactic is just means teaching okay just instruction or directives so don't get worried about if you see words like that Um, sometimes they're very much more simple than they seem at first so we have the source is God, the content, that would be information, directives, or instructions, and then it, the implications. If this is true, if the Bible has authority, what are the implications, not only for us, but for people who don't follow Jesus? There's implications for them as well, if they don't obey Scripture. So the implications are the cost of sin. What are the wages of sin? Death, Right? So there's implications. There's a, implications if we don't obey Scripture. Um, in the covenant language, when God gave the, the first covenant, he gave a long list of the benefits of obedience and the consequences of disobedience. And a lot of people don't like to focus on that. The, the, actually, the consequence section was double the length of the benefits section. So it's important that we understand. There are implications... If it's true that the Bible holds authoritative uh, power from God, then there's implications to that. Because he's the creator, we're the creatures, and we have to think about those. Okay, so what are a couple ways that people have described authority? We'll look at the first one here. This is in your notes. Uh, from the Lexham Survey of Theology, authoritative words are words that impose obligations on the lives of their readers and hearers. To say that the Bible is authoritative is to say that it governs all areas of human life. All areas. So, oh, we don't like that sometimes, do we? That the Bible does tell us how we live in all areas of life. Because sometimes we'd rather just do our own thing. So that's one definition. Another one that I thought was pretty good here, this is from Wayne Grudem, uh, Systematic Theology, which was one of my college textbooks. Um, But 
he said, the authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Okay? So, if the authority is God, and he has given his word authority, if we disobey his word, we're disobeying God. Right? That's a pretty simple, um, logical conclusion. And it may seem like we're saying something really basic here, but it's important that we understand this so we know how we're to live. Because you don't normally say, well, my, my child is supposed to obey me, and I told them to do this, and they disobeyed this, so they disobeyed me. It seems like that's pretty obvious. But when we think about Scripture, we need to think about these things very hard and very, uh, with a really clear mind to say, what does that really mean? What's the implication there? Um, if we disobey Scripture, we disobey God. And, and if you look at where so many, I'll use the word so-called, evangelical denominations and Christians have gone so far astray, it, how, almost to every single example we could give, if we talked about where a denomination went on um, marriage, for example, if we said where did they go on the biological sex of, of people, if you go to any of those issues where we say, wow, how did they get there? How did they get there? It always comes down to the authority of Scripture. Because they are saying that Scripture doesn't have full authority to the believers today or to the world today. Um, but they're wrong about that. Because it does. And so when the Bible speaks to something, especially some of the most clear things we can find, it has authority. And we can't just ignore that. Because if we disobey Scripture, then we're disobeying God himself. Then we have, um, in this, uh, you'll remember from your first week's notes, um, I had inserted into there the whole Westminster Confession of Faith section on Scripture. I'm just going to look at two highlights there. Uh, From section 4, the authority of the Holy Scripture, for which it ought to be believed and obeyed, dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof. And therefore, it is to be received because it is the word of God. Why did they put that in the Westminster Confession? Well, there's one really big church that says the Holy Scripture is subject to the definition that the church gives. What this says is that it doesn't depend on the testimony of any man or church but wholly upon God. So God's word defines God's word. Not a pope, or not um, the head of a denomination, or anything like that. God's word is God's word, and nobody else gets to say what it is. And then in section 10, it says, the supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined And all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined, and in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other than the Holy Spirit speaking in the Scripture. 
What is that saying? Well, that's saying, hey, people have written all kinds of things about what the Bible means. They've preached a lot of sermons on what the Bible means. They've done uh, beautiful video presentations on what they say the Bible means. But all of that is subject to the Bible itself. You have to always go back to Scripture. And what Scripture says is clearer than we have to... We have to if, if someone wrote something, say, 100 years ago, no matter how famous or well-liked they were, if what they said does not compart with Scripture, then we have to put it aside. And that's true today as well. It doesn't matter if someone can fill a stadium with people that want to come and listen to them tickle their ears. If they say something that is not in accordance with Scripture, we need to get rid of it and throw it out. All right, we'll move on here a little bit. Um, Let's see. Am I? Oh, that's okay. My next part is not in your notes, but I'm going to read you a little further um, clarification and information on this. It says, God is by nature the supreme authority in the universe, governing the lives of all his creatures. When he speaks, creatures must obey or bear the consequences of disobedience. We don't like to think of ourselves as creatures. We are creatures, and we have a creator. The Bible is his word, and therefore human beings must obey all aspects of it in every area of their lives. The Westminster Confession says that by saving faith, a Christian believeth to be true whatever is revealed in the word. For the authority of God himself speaking therein and acteth differently upon that which every particular passage thereof containeth. This is a little King James language here. So, uh, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. This is not to say that the content of Scripture measures up to human standards of what is right and wrong, true and false. Rather, Scripture itself is the very standard the ultimate criterion of what is true and right. Nor shall we restrict the authority of Scripture to some narrow sphere of human life, such as religion or worship. Scripture governs the religious life. But before God, all of life is religion in the sense that we are to do everything to the glory of God. Scripture is the supreme guide as to how to glorify God in all of life. So however difficult it may be in a social environment, the Christian must be bold to obey the Bible, not only in church, but in the workplace, in the intellectual life, in science, philosophy, law, politics, the arts, culture, commerce, and entertainment. Believers must, of course, respect the fact that Scripture focuses on redemption rather than general culture, But that redemption itself is cosmic. The removal of false curse from all creation and the reconciliation of all things to God. The Bible's authority extends over all areas of human life. And that's from the Lexham as well. But I thought that was really a a powerful statement to think about. It doesn't matter. All of those areas of life we mentioned. And people say, oh, you shouldn't talk about politics at church. Well, in the sense of, you know, talking about who you've got to vote for or whatever, maybe that's not the best idea. But the Bible does speak to every current issue in our world today. 
And so we shouldn't be afraid to say, let's have a conversation. What does the Bible say about this? Whatever it is. And then, if we must give up our original position and whatever party we are affiliated with, because Scripture is telling us there's something different we're to follow, what's our first authority? Not our party, but, our, but Scripture itself, which is God's Word. All right, now we're going to look at what the Bible says about itself. Now you're going to get a lot of Scripture. You've got all the references in your notes, but I'm going to read them and go through them. And I forgot to go back and reformat that, so that's kind of tiny. So I'm sorry about that. Um, Deuteronomy 4, starting at verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in to take the possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are, are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, this is Moses talking, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I have set before you today? So Moses is telling the people, this is, this, these laws, these statutes are a gift for our good. They're a blessing to us. He recognized that there was something special God had done for those people, providing his word to them. And then we move on into Deuteronomy 6. Now, at our church in Wagner, we used a Sunday school curriculum called D6. And D6 takes you through every book of the Bible every six years. And the reason it's called D6, guess why? Deuteronomy 6, it comes from this passage, which I'm going to read, um, because we want this to be a priority in our lives. This is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, my friends, we're supposed to be talking about the Lord and his word all the time. All the time. Not just Sunday morning and Sunday evening, or maybe even Wednesday, morning, Wednesday evening or Thursday evening if you're in the ladies' class or Winston's class. Every time you have an opportunity, and especially in the family context, the Bible tells us we ought to be talking and thinking about these things. And, and that is a powerful reminder to us, and it's also a great challenge because there's a lot that competes for our attention. And then a little further down in verses 24 and 25. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be a righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. You know, people that reject God's word, reject God's plan of salvation, and they'll say, oh, I don't want anything to do with the church. Bunch of rules, bunch of how to do this, how to do that. But the Bible tells us that God has given this for our good always. For our good always, he has given us the rules by which we're to live. Because that will be the blessing to us. And it's, it's the lie that if we have to follow these rules, we're somehow restrained in life and happiness and joy. But it's actually the opposite. If we want life, happiness, and joy, we obey God's word. Again, in the next chapter, you shall be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. The authority of scripture. And then the next chapter, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. You know, it's kind of one of those Bible study things we talk about a lot. If the Bible says something once, we pay attention. Twice, we we perk up a little more. If it says it more than twice, we ought to pay really close attention to what it says. So if you're seeing that pattern here, um, it's because it's very important. And then Joshua 23, Therefore be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. Psalm 19, 19, starting at verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. When Scripture chastises us, when it rebukes us at times, when it guides us back to the path, do we find it to be more desired than gold at those times? Do we find it sweeter also than honey? 
We should, but we often don't. And so we have to keep in mind that God loves us enough to have given us instruction and sometimes discipline through his word. To Timothy, Paul wrote to remember how from childhood he had been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Again, instruction after instruction in Scripture to pay attention to Scripture. So now we go back to some of those consequences. What happens when we listen to something other than Scripture when it's disagreeing with God? To Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What is the great sin in the garden? What is the cosmic treason? It's that God had all authority to command his creature, and he gave his word, not in Bible form, not on an iPad, but his word actually verbally to Adam, and he was to listen to that and obey it. And scripture says, instead, you listen to your wife. The wife said, well, I listened to the serpent. But God had given his word, and he had, he had made clear this was his command. So anytime we listen to something other than God's word, we're listening to something that does not have the authority of God. And so anything we read, hear, or are told to do, if it doesn't agree with Scripture, if we can't find some way where it, where it says, Scripture tells me, yes, I need to obey this thing. You know, Scripture tells me I'm to obey the laws of the land unless the laws of the land command me to do something that violates God's law. And so that means when I come down Southern Boulevard, if the speed limit is 55, then God's Word tells me that that's a law I can follow. But if the law of the land were to say, um, you know, you have to do such and such that's a sin, and it violates God's law, that's when, that's when man's law comes to an end for us. It's possible that we may be faced with that in our lifetime. There's Christians around the world today that have to disobey lawful or, or the, the man's laws because they violate God's laws. And so I don't know if we'll get there or not. It almost seems like we're headed in those directions sometimes. But whatever we go through to obey God's commands, even if it does bring some suffering, you know, the reward will be greater. In other words, if we are ever faced with the time where we say, the authority of God's word tells me I can't obey 
the law is the state or the law of the county or the law of the country, and we are punished for it, we can stand with confidence knowing that we're under God's authority. And then we can say with Paul in Romans 8.18, he said, I consider that the sufferings, and Paul did a lot of suffering. He did a lot of it. He, there's lists of it in Scripture. But he said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected, subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So, that's pretty good. Paul went through all that stuff and he said, yeah, but compared to the glory, that's nothing. I mean, here's a guy that had rocks thrown at him who got chained up and, and uh, put in prison, beaten with the stripes and all of that. And he says, eh, but compared to the glory to come. Oh, Lord, give us that kind of confidence in our end. That would be my prayer for us. And reminder that Jesus himself was was a fulfill a fulfillment of God's word and was God's word remember from John 1 but Colossians 119 have you ever heard of the book of Colossians for for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things whether on earth and heaven thereby making peace by the blood of the cross blood of his cross and ultimately, by our obedience to Scripture, particularly the obedience to those things that we need to do to be saved, then we can look forward to what is shown to us, a picture of in Revelation. And it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all, new thi- all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Now, this is all coming full circle, the authority of Scripture. And Scripture tells us these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water and life, of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And so that's the glorious hope we have, that we, that we can trust Scripture when it tells us things like this, that we have been given a picture of the glory to come. This one I know I've used previous class too, but uh, Peter says, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, 
but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That was one of our key verses last week. And just a reminder again, the authority of Scripture is not that men wrote it down, but God breathed it into them. And Jesus said, hey, you know, this, there's a lot of times that people will say, well, you know, there's the Old Testament, and then Jesus came, and then now we're in the New Testament. Well, there's, there's some truth maybe to that, but we have to be careful with that because Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So there we go again with, with looking at what, is Bible, what does the Bible teach us to do and our responsibility to learn what it says. And those of us who are given this task of teaching are to teach what it says. That's a pretty powerful statement. Whoever relaxes the least of these commandments. And so I've gotten young couples mad at me because I wouldn't marry them. Because I wouldn't relax the least of one of these commandments. And I said, if you don't live in sin and you go through a process, I'll marry you. But they would walk out the door. That's our, that's our responsibility. We can't relax any of the commandments. And the law and the Bible and the word of God will not pass away. It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. And then he said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled and then Paul this is the last scripture I'll do for tonight but Paul I've mentioned before he prayed these wonderful prayers for the people that he was concerned with he said he thanks God constantly for this to the Thessalonian church that when you received the word of God which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men but as what it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And so that's what our prayer should be as ministers too, to pray that the people receive the word, not as words that were preached by Pastor Jason or whoever else, but as the word of God, because it's his word, it's his authority, not mine. So all words in Scripture are God's words. All words in scriptures are God's words. Because, the, and the Bible actually claims that itself. We've seen these verses now. The Bible claims, and that was more last week too, that all the words in scripture are God's words. We as Christians need to be convinced of the Bible's claims to be God's word as we're reading scripture. Because if we ever start reading scripture without remembering in our mind, this is God's word. Because we start reading our own interpretation, and we let's not pretend we're all innocent here, right? We like to read scripture and say, "Ah, I was just in this conversation with someone the other day, and now I found a perfect scripture to nail them with." Well, maybe, but just as likely, you've lost your 
concentration a little bit because you forgot that you're supposed to learn something from God for this passage. So we need to be convinced of the Bible's claims to be God's words as we're reading the Bible. And the words of Scripture are self-attesting. That means they confirm themselves. When you look across the, the Bible and you see all the different uh, connections and how everything um, adds up, you can see that the Scriptures are self-attesting. And so because all the words in Scripture are God's words, and the Bible claims that for itself, and we're convinced that the Bible's claims are God's words as we read the Bible, and that the words of Scripture are self-attesting, because of that, Grudem says, to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God himself. Thus, Jesus can rebuke his disciples for not believing the Old Testament Scriptures, Believers are to keep or obey the disciples' words. John 15, 20, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Christians are encouraged to remember the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles, 2 Peter 3, 2. To disobey Paul's writings was to make oneself liable to church discipline, such as excommunication even, 2 Thessalonians 3, 14. And spiritual punishment, 2 Corinthians 13, 2 and 3 including punishment from God. This is the apparent sense of the passive verb he is not recognized in 1 Corinthians 14, 38. By contrast, God delights in everyone who trembles at his word, Isaiah 66, 2. Throughout the history of the church, and this is still Grudem's quote, uh, throughout the history of the church, the greatest preachers have been those who have recognized that they have no authority in themselves, and have seen their task as being to explain the words of Scripture and apply them clearly to the lives of their hearers. Their preaching has drawn its power not from the proclamation of their own Christian experiences or the experiences of others, nor from their own opinions, creative ideas, or rhetorical skills, but from God's powerful words. Essentially, they stood in the pulpit, pointed to the biblical text, and said in effect to the congregation, this is what this verse means do you see that meaning here as well? Then you must believe it and obey it with all your heart. For God himself, your creator and your Lord, is saying this to you today. Only the written words of scripture can give this kind of authority to preaching. So, uh, this should be in your notes too, but we had it probably in the first lesson, I think. The Christian Missionary Alliance Statement of Faith, the Old and New Testaments, inerrant as originally given. Um... Oh, I guess I don't have that on the slide. Uh, the Old New Testaments, are inerrant as originally given, were verbally inspired by God and are a complete revelation of his will for the salvation of men. They constitute the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. So, now we're coming to our time to have some discussion among yourselves. So, groups of uh, four or five, maybe? Um, ju yeah, just a moment. Um, and there's four questions there, and I know sometimes we, uh, we spend time in this good discussion, but I want to make sure you get to question four. Um, so um, please, when you get in your small groups, don't get too bogged down on the first few questions and not make it to four, because the four is the one that we really want to talk about. So, yes, ma'am.
That's a great question. So verbally um, does not mean in, in that statement of faith that it was spoken necessarily, but means that it was written. So verbal can be written down. It was written down. So if Isaiah had a vision and later he wrote it down, then the, the verbal things he wrote down were inspired. The, right. In our language, often we mean we spoke it. So good question. I like that. So, yeah. And th- those are things that, um, that's a good reason why we should go through things like the statement of faith and, and doctrine and understand what does that word really mean, you know. And sometimes the words don't mean what we necessarily thought of right away because, right, our words have more than one meaning sometimes, but. Um, but they're trying to make sure they convey the idea that what is written down is God's word, however the method he used to do it. And sometimes we don't always understand all of that. But So, okay, well, uh, yeah, groups of four or five or three or four or five and uh, work through those questions. So thanks for listening.